Welcome to Misfits and Rejects, a podcast about the lifestyle design of expatriates, travelers, entrepreneurs, and adventurers. I'm your host, Chapin Cruder. Enjoy. I didn't fit in America. With cocaine, there's just always too many guns and too many bad attitudes. I quit the limiting stories. Really try to overcome that fear. And right there, for any of your listeners, a lot of what I was to do in the rest of my life was formulated by the fact I just went and did it. Welcome to another episode of Misfits and Rejects. I'm super happy to have my old friend Brandon Chappetti on board for this episode where we get to get into his lifestyle design of metalcore, a subgenre of music that he helped pioneer over the years since I've known him since seventh grade. And just he caught my eye uh, actually when I was on a trip one time and he popped up on MTV and I was like, wow, this guy's done it for himself. He's actually really gone out, taken the steps and shaped the life that he's always wanted for himself because he's been passionate about music for a long time. So with that said, I want to bring him on and, and get his story. Brandon, welcome to the show. Hello. Thanks for having me, man. Oh, it's a pleasure, dude. It's been a long time since we've connected. And uh, like I said, just following your Facebook, Instagram, MTV episodes, like, let's let's hear it, dude. What happened? Where'd you go? What'd you do? How'd you get to where you're at? And how'd you, uh, how'd you shape this really cool life for yourself? Well, first, it's kind of funny because... Where we went to, where we grew up, the city where we grew up, and we grew up in Newport Beach, and it's, you know, it kind of gets this like rap of like, you know, very privileged area, and yeah, there are some people that are pretty dang privileged in that area, but the majority of us were just very middle class or not middle class, you know what I mean? And it was one of those things where, I guess I use that sort of like to fuel my fire. And one of the things that's really cool about where I'm from and why I'm so like kind of proud of where I'm from is that. So many of like my friends and your friends, we did our own thing. You know, it's, it's really crazy. Like it's, I, I don't, I don't think any of our friends, like old friends we used to hang out have like, like a straight up nine to fiver. Like everybody's doing like their own deal, something creative, something that they have their heart behind. And I guess I kind of picked up on that when I moved over to that district from Costa Mesa when I was in seventh grade. Um, and I just was like, wow, this is, this is incredible. Like I kind of had this, this vibe and I started carrying this vibe, like even through high school where I'm like, everybody's really an individual thinker. And it, to me, it's kind of like inspiring to be from somewhere like that. I felt like, I felt like it naturally kind of pushed us to do things that we love to do versus like, kind of like working for the man, you know what I mean? I and agree, I think that's yeah. kind of like where we're, where we're from and what's embedded in us and kind of the, the kind of the free spirit that we all kind of grew up with. I mean, it, it was from different channels and stuff, but I, you know, still like a lot of our older friends that like I'll talk to now, it's like, everyone's just still like a free spirit and doing like what they want to do. And it's just, it's just really cool thing. And I mean, that's in the back of my mind, like every step that I took when I, you know, I was straight edge and like into hard, hardcore and punk rock and metal in high school. And even before that in junior high and it wasn't normal, but you know, it was, it was, it also wasn't like completely like shunned. Like most places would think you were a complete outcast. And I think that our society and our city that we grew up in kind of embraced the outcast sort of image. And that really helped me kind of take that step out of high school and just be like, you know what? I feel like if I just want to go play music, I could just play music and it's totally going to be fine. And I could do it, you know, like how I grew up has kind of led me to this point to where 
I believe everything is possible. And if you do things with your right, like with your right mind and you do things that are, um, you know, you do things that you absolutely like believe in, then you could do it. You know, you just have to have the right heart and the right like mind towards it. And, and I guess that's really like what carried me. I kind of made a decision when I remember I made a decision in like when I was a junior in high school and I started playing my first real band called 18 visions. I was playing guitar and I said, you know what, dude, this is what I want to do. Like, this is what I want to do. And I don't think there's anything standing in my way to do it. The only thing that's standing in my way is what is socially norm. What is society think I should do? Society thinks at the, at the time society thinks I probably should have tried to get a baseball scholarship and go to college and do that. And, you know, work that nine to five job where I'd probably be miserable. But at the same time, that's not what I wanted to do. And I felt like our, our, our city and our society kind of backed what I wanted to do of, of being an individual. And, um, I can honestly say if I grew up somewhere else, I don't know if I would have had that, that sort of, um, feeling to where I could do everything that I wanted to do and, and accomplish what I wanted to do and, and being an individual. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about that a little bit. I mean, you, you had skills in baseball that you could, you think you could have taken a little farther. For sure. I could have. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was having, having people, you know, when I was a sophomore, there were scouts coming to my game as a sophomore mm-hmm. and, and, but I just knew that this, that's not what I wanted to do. Like okay. I started playing music and music just overtook my life. You know what I mean? Like I couldn't wait to get done with practice so I can get in my car and listen to like a mixtape that I made, mm-hmm. you know, like, so that's where I knew it was, that was, that was just in my mind. That was in my heart. Like that was what I needed to do. And I always kind of said, you know, if I could just get kind of a step in the right direction, I could make it happen. And I guess I kind of just started to think about, you know, branding like right then and there about, you know, one of the things that I feel was a a main kind of advantage for me is trying to make something out of something like that DIY DIY mentality and just being like, okay, I'm going to do this and I'm going to see if people take notice and if people take notice and I'm going to do it more and then kind of bounce back and forth. And, um, I mean, really it was one of these things where I'm like, I'm just going to, I'm going to fucking do this and see like what happens. And I could always go back to school. And I, that was always in my mind, like Brandon, do this, try to take it as much as you can book your own tours, try to get outside orange County and go play shows, go do weekend shows here, weekend shows there and try to go out there and, and really try to put a, an honest effort towards it. And if it doesn't work, then go back to school, man. You know what I mean? I knew I was a smart, a smart person and I can go back to school and, and do whatever I wanted to do. But what I wanted to do at the time was the sort of, I wanted to get in a fucking van and go play music for people. Like that's really what I wanted to do. And that was, how were you funding all that? I mean, I mean, really that was just us like saving money from jobs that we were working. Uh, first couple of tours was really like us putting money together. We came up with like a loose budget of what we needed to do it. And sometimes we get paid at shows and sometimes we didn't. Um, the early days of, of traveling around, like the early days of 18 visions and Throwdown and bleeding through, um, the bands I was involved with, um, especially bleeding through in the beginning, it was, it was tough. I mean, we, you know, we had a sign that we, or if we didn't have enough money to get to the next show, like we were at the fucking gas station asking people for money, you know what I mean? And, you know, as far as like eating and stuff, like we, we spent a few years kind of dumpster diving and it was really that or like nothing, you know what I mean? And we really had to like, uh, like come together and really be, um, a single unit 
together. And I think that's what really drove us and kept us so close and kept us so united and kept us so focused is because of what we actually had to go through to get to where we wanted to get. And I'm not saying that like bands should go through that because it's sometimes uh, you, it's sometimes it's, it's amazing to think that we actually did that stuff. But it's like the lowest you've ever gotten is when you have to be at the bottom of a fucking dumpster and you're like, fuck, I got to figure this out or I'm not going to eat for a couple of days. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, I mean, we would sleep on people's floors in people's houses where they lived with their parents or people would make us food and we literally got by that way and that's how we funded it and we really funded it by like people's generosity and uh making friendships that i still have today like that started in fucking 97 some of my best friends live in other states other countries that because they took care of us they wanted us to play there and they're like you know they're you have to have an honest conversation like hey like we don't know if we could eat tonight get to the next show um, you know, could we borrow money? And most times people would just be like, well, I'll just give you money. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Was, that, those- was that uncomfortable at first? It was or- definitely uncomfortable. I've never been comfortable asking for anything my whole life. I wasn't, I wasn't brought up with privilege and asking for things was never part of it. I was just, I was, I was brought up to where you're going to work for what you get and that's what you get. And so it was just tough. It was tough for us, but I felt that that really was a big Looking back, you know, retrospect, it, it was that was what took us to where we needed to get mentality wise. Like, you know what? Fuck it. We went through the worst of it. Things are starting to get better and things are only going to continue to get better. Did that exceed your expectations of how far you actually have gotten? I mean, did you ever see yourself being a successful band with Bleeding Through, I believe, was your most successful band yeah. you're with? I mean, well, with with 18 Visions, when I play guitar for that and throw down it. I never really considered myself wanting to be in those bands long term. And I didn't share the same vision as them as far as like success. I'll be honest with you though. Like I felt I didn't know what was going to happen with bleeding through our metal, our more metal roots that coined like the term metal core um, wasn't being done a lot. We had a girl in the band that played keyboards that wasn't done a lot in our genre and from the hardcore scene. And we were kind of pushing that envelope and we were, we were kind of worried that people wouldn't really take to it. And I remember there being one show that we played in Orange County and in Anaheim at uh, uh, chain reaction. And we just put a demo out and there was like 20 people like singing along every word. And I remember looking at the band and just be like, you know what guys, we're going to fucking make it and we're going to do this. And so right then and there, and that was the earlier stages. That was within the first year and a half of the band. And I remember there being like, you know what? There's never a doubt in my mind that we could go as far as we want to take this. Because I really just felt a connection. It felt really weird having just this connection to these 20 kids. But I'm like, if we can get this music out to more people, we're going to form this connection. And with this connection, we could do whatever the hell we want. We could take it as long, as far as we want. Because I felt like we had like this emotional connection to the audience. So it definitely, I definitely, it took me back a bunch of times. Like we fucking played shows in Russia and we toured Southeast Asia and we were given you know, Royal treatment, all these places. And it was, it was, that was, <laughs> that wasn't expected, but I did think that that was possible. And well, I mean, was the money good? Were you making money? Like real for, money? For a, while, for a while, the money was great. Um, I look back at it from like the years of like 2003 to 2007 when the money was the best because the the industry, the music industry was still thriving. People were buying physical copies of CDs and people were going to shows and there wasn't, the oversaturation of the market, which happened around like 2007, 2008, it was kind of like the housing crisis. Mm-hmm. 
people went out there and bought a bunch of houses because you know they they thought they could and then all of a sudden it was like oh my god there's this influx of of oversaturation and we're all fucked now we're all fighting for crumbs off the table okay. you know one of those things and that's what really turned into happening for the band but um financially it was good for a little bit i wish i would have had a financial advisor to kind of help me with things a little bit but um we were slightly careless with a lot of our money which a lot of newer bands are and we didn't come from anything so once you have money you're kind of just like let's fucking spend it mm-hmm. right. thinking term because you're thinking the dream's never going to end right um and i just remember when there was a significant decline which was funny because we were selling more records and drawing more people to our shows but the money was getting less and then you're like wow okay money's getting less because i'm paying a manager a booking agent a tour manager a guitar tech a light tech a merch guy this that and your money just gets spread and my, that's what I try to talk to about bands now is trying to really condense, condense your expenses, doing things on your own to figure out how to do things and not just putting your faith in other people and not having any control over your band and just writing checks all the time, which I find that most bands now, they're like, oh, before they even put a record out, they're like, we have management, booking agent, tour manager, a press agent, and we're cutting checks to people off of shows before even having a record out. I mean, that's not going to end well for you. Mm-hmm. You're not going to get money to exist. That's interesting. So you are kind of consulting the younger generation then on how to be a business band owner. To a certain extent. I mean, I have a, I have a, I'm part owners in a studio in Huntington Beach called the Barracks and I, I own it. Well, I, I, my lawyer owns it and I kind of, kind of help like sort of A&R the place and we talk to younger bands and stuff and we talk about that. Like, you know, you need to learn how to do this band on your own before you can give control to somebody else or executive control to someone else because you need to know the ins and outs of this business because these managers and a lot of these people that quote unquote work for your work for your band, they just want a fucking paycheck. They don't really care as much as you do and no one's going to care as much as you do. So you need to know the ins and outs of everything before you give control to someone else. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you obviously have entrepreneurial spirit because you've transitioned to a lot of different sort of things where you're really into fitness. Now you have your own fitness gym. I mean, what kind of other irons do you have in the fire as far as business well, goes with that? I mean, I started becoming very clear in about 2008, 2009 that, you know what? I don't think that bleeding through has a ceiling, but it ha- but we have a self-imposed ceiling where, you know, our drummer had two kids, our guitar player had a- both our guitar players had kids. Our keyboard player wanted to start having kids and, and it was like very apparent, like, okay, we can't do this band like we used to. We can't tour eight months a year. And that's the only way we could actually make money to support our lives and our families and food, foods on our table and, and a roof over our head. And so that's when I kind of was like, I need to start thinking next, next level or something else. And I'm like, okay, well, what am I just as almost just as passionate about as music? And I was like, well, fitness. And I feel like I can create a culture with fitness that it's going to be more um, comfortable for people like me to go work out a more suitable environment for kind of freaks, <laughs> you know, the people that didn't feel okay to go to like a 24 hour fitness back in the day because they might have tattoos or not know what they're doing. And they might not be the strongest person in the gym. I wanted to create a culture. Where it was like, everybody's good, man. Everybody's all good. We're going to come in here. We're going to listen to some fucking rad music. I'll teach you how to fucking, how to, to lift. I'll teach you what you need to know to be self-sufficient in the gym and I'm going to create a culture to come and hang out and work out. And I was like, it's kind of like, it's the new punk rock for me. I saw that the reason why bleeding through, I felt had such great successes. We made people a part of it. And with this, I make people a part of my gym. 
you know, they're a part of it. They have, pr- they have pride that they come to rise above fitness and they, they rep the apparel and, and they put stickers on their car and they have, they have pride in it. And I wanted to make a place where people could be proud to go work out. That's really cool. And was this transition because you kind of saw the, the self-imposed, as you said, end of bleeding through and you know, you needed to kind of transition to another job kind of to keep the money flowing. I was thinking long-term. Um, I knew that sort of like that self-imposed ceiling and it's really, it was a self-imposed ceiling because life was just happening. We were getting into our thirties and people were having kids and bleeding through made a good amount of money, but we didn't make kid money. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> right on, so I'm yeah. just like, all right, well, we, we did it. We did great for ourselves and we just had to pay rent for a room and didn't have anybody else to take care of. But now we do. It's like life happens and that just happens to a lot of bands and it's okay when that happens to bands and you, and you don't think you can go on from that. Um, that's a good time to stop or maybe condense what you're doing. And I kind of was like, well, bleeding through has always been such this like full-time band where I don't know if I'd be comfortable doing it part-time. Mm-hmm. So we tried the part-time thing for about three more years, put out a couple more records did some tours, but then eventually every tour we got offered, we couldn't do because members had other things going on. And I was one of those members. I'm like, well, dude, I need, I have this opportunity to open a gym right now and I'm canceling this tour because I'm going to open this gym. Okay. You know, I'm going to take this opportunity. And that was the first time I chose really anything over bleeding through. And that's when I kind of knew that like the bleeding through as people knew it was done. Now, if bleeding through decides to reinvent itself and come back as more of a part-time thing where we just play shows here and there and write records, that's, that's, could be possibly in the cards, but um, we'll cr- I guess we'll cross that bridge when we get there. Right on. All right. Do you find yourself more passionate um, with one or the other? Like, are you like way more passionate about lifting and, and being a gym owner than bleeding through or, or just music or is it equally like just splitting yourself down the middle? Nothing. You know what? It's pretty split, but I can be honest with you. Like nothing affects me still quite like the power of music mm-hmm. just because I think it's such a great self-expression. And for me, it's helped me so much in my life to where um, I'm a highly um, kind of emotional dude and I've been bipolar most of my life and kept it a secret from my band and my friends and um, been very transparent about that like in recent years and been trying to like spearhead sort of things to help people uh, um, cope with bipolar and fitness was a great release and it still is, but music was what really balanced me out. Mm-hmm. really let me get my insecurities out and it came out in an aggressive way that was aggressive on a record not aggressive in another aspect of my life no yeah that's interesting man when did you uh come out with that like when did you really uh, that into the open i let's see 2000 no 2012 i broke up with my my wife at the time and uh, i was just it, a lot of childish things but it you know, that that's a whole different story. But after that, I decided, you know what, I'm not going to keep this, this secret anymore. Like I need to, I'm, I'm, I can't be embarrassed of this. I got to be okay with letting people help. And so I basically just told my band, I'm like, you know, all those times where I was like tripping out and you're like, what the fuck's wrong with you? I'm bipolar. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I've been dealing with that. And, and I've, I've tried, I'm sorry for keeping it a secret from you guys, but I've been dealing with it for a long time. So anytime I've been really kind of like an asshole on the road or really hard to deal with. I could honestly say that like I've had a mental illness and it's, it's been dragging me along a little bit. Have you been, were you self-medicating or were you seeing a doctor? I was, I was seeing therapy therapist, um, since I was 14 or 15, Mm -hmm. pretty consistently, um, seen a therapist for, um, other reasons like social anxiety and, and depression. Um, 
and it was something that my parents didn't really want to admit that was going on. So I started booking my own therapy sessions on my own, um, working, you know, I, I was working like when I was in high school and I literally was paying all that money to go see therapy. I was literally taking care of it like myself and my therapist basically that I've had since then, she's an amazing woman and she's let me pay when I could pay and she would get me scripts when I could, when I needed it and I could pay her back whenever I could pay her back. And if I didn't, I didn't have to, mm-hmm. it was one of those things. And she's really taken a, um, she really took like, like ownership of it and it's helped me. Um, but I'd be on the road and I'd run out of scripts and I'd run out of meds and it was kind of a tough time. So I decided to, in 2013 to go a different route. I started, I got on a, a marijuana case study mm-hmm. and I started smoking different st- um, strands of marijuana to try to balance out my bipolar okay. because my pharmaceuticals were just, they're killing me, dude. Like they're legit killing me. Like I didn't have motivation. I didn't have a fire. There's certain days I couldn't, certain days it was counteracting what it should have done. And that was getting me the fuck out of bed and on with my day. Mm-hmm. And some days it was just dragging me through the mud. So you know, at the time I was straight edge, so there was like moral ramifications to it. And I remember my therapist saying, you know what? I've known you for almost all your life. You got to fucking put that aside. This is about your health. This is about your mind. This is about you moving forward as an adult, being a professional adult business wise. It's just medicine, man. Like it's just medicine, mm-hmm. but it's from the earth. Mm-hmm. I'm like, you know what? You're right. Fuck it. So I started smoking weed <laughs> and I, I'll be completely honest. I smoke weed every day. Wow. And so how is that working? I mean, are you still on your scripts or is it just weed at this point? No, just weed. And you get, you find the balance that you need and everything. I, I find the balance I need. I take, I smoke different strands throughout the day. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also take five HTP, which is a amino acid mm-hmm. that also helps trigger five HTP and L tyrosine, which help trigger, um, mood enhancement. Okay. See a little bit clearer, focus a little bit more. So I take that as well. That's interesting. Yeah. Is there a lot of support uh, within the bipolar community of the use of marijuana? I don't know much yes. about it. There is. It's becoming. It's becoming very. Uh, it's becoming more used, which is awesome because, I mean, with it being legal in our state now, I'm hoping that there's more advances with the medical research of mental illnesses. It's already been, you know, said that CBD oil can help. Um, slow down the process of dementia, mm-hmm. which is incredible. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I mean, there's a lot of studies and it's just going to keep getting better and better and pinpoint a little bit more and more. Um, you know, I use it recreationally and, and occasionally I use it non-recreationally. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. I mean, that's interesting. I kind of want to touch more on that because it's like you've had this DIY mentality yeah. from a young age and transitioned that into your personal life, which I'd like to bring more people like yourself on the show who suffer from anxiety or suffer from whatever they suffer from and have chosen to take responsibility in a way of sure. Okay. You can take medication. I think that's taking responsibility for it also, but there's holistic ways too, that you can experiment with that, you know, might also um, help you out. And it's really cool to hear somebody with having the success that you're having in life personally and financially business wise, following your passion that has really found that balance with the, the do it yourself sort of attitude. Totally. That's great, you know, man. It's one of the things kind of going back to the childhood is like when I moved, when I had transferred over to Ensign, um, which was for those that don't know, it's the middle school that 
leads up to Newport Harbor High School in Newport. It's it was culture shock. I mean, I definitely like you know I surfed, I was on the mountain, I, I did stuff, but it was just it was different. You know what I mean? It was just it's a different world when you go to that world. And I remember just being like, dude, like it's not that easy. It wasn't that easy to make friends at first. So I kind of had to just be like, okay, well I gotta like you know kind of invent myself, <laughs> I mm-hmm. guess you know. Yeah. And, I mean, through through the years, I've created such strong friendships where I think that the bond is a lot stronger than 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 what people may think. But um, but yeah, dude, it's it's just it's one of those things where like when it comes to being an entrepreneur, what I personally think is when someone calls me an entrepreneur, I'm like, I do, I am an entrepreneur, but I don't tell people I am. I'm just like a guy that does shit. And when I say I'm going to do things, I'm going to do it. And I'm going to try to take the necessary steps to make that happen. And I'm going to accept the possibility of failure. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's one of the biggest parts of where people fall from their entrepreneurial spirit is that they're not prepared to fail. And it doesn't have to necessarily do with money. It's just a lot of people can't take failure in general emotionally to where they think it's like, oh, I failed. So I'm just like this fucking failure. No, man, you fail because you're just trying to do something on your own. That's like 99% of the people that try to start their own businesses fail. You just got to be okay with failing and seeing where you went wrong and trying again. Mm-hmm. A lot of people go wrong. I feel like just people don't try again, man. I've failed so many times, so many times. Tell us I'm, one. Tell us what's your biggest failure up to this point in your life. Oh man. I'm, I'm, I'm really just trying to think of like all of it. I mean, there was just with, with bleeding through, for example, there was a lot of failures. There was a lot of times that like, you know, we tried a certain thing on a record and it didn't work out or we tried to take a certain step of maybe commercializing ourselves a little bit more that didn't work out. That was a failure or tours can be failures. Tours could be could And that's the biggest thing too. Like when you, when you tour, you could, you could fail because the tour doesn't do so well. And a lot of bands will just be like, fuck it. We're calling it quits. But you just got to learn how to like, take that in stride and be like, okay, well, next time we're going to do this a little bit different, put together a different package and, and we're going to get them next time. Mm-hmm. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. It's, it's just things like, it's, I'm not going to say monumental failures, but it's little failures here and there. Just mm-hmm. that feeling of not being good enough that you have to get over. You know what I mean? And have you felt that throughout your life? I mean, I know I've gone through that and feeling like I'm not good enough. Absolutely. With, especially with music, you always feel like you're not good enough because you always see somebody that's bigger and more, more, popular than you are we're like why not us are we just Mm -hmm. not enough and it has nothing to do with that it's just everybody has their own vibe and their own brand Mm -hmm. and really if you're at that point it's really just kind of like it's not necessarily luck but you got to have some luck of course i mean and you being the front man i mean a lot of that responsibility is on your shoulders totally and what's that like i mean did you always embrace the spotlight or is that something you had to grow to become comfortable with oh i had to grow to become comfortable with it i fucking hate it yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's so many times I'm like, God, why am I gra- holding this microphone? I wish I had a guitar in my hand still. So I could be my own little fucking bubble and not have to worry about it. But no, like doing the interviews, having a lot of to do with like the business side of the, the music, I felt a lot more than the rest of the band. Mm-hmm. And then how did, how did that translate into your relationships with them when, yeah, I mean, they're at the hotel and you're having to stay for two hours worth of interviews because you're the front man or whatever. I mean, it was kind of expected. Okay. Um, it, it was just they kind of knew that like I was going to take care of things. Okay. Which was okay. I don't, I, I don't mind that at all. Okay. Yeah. That's cool. 
That's really cool. Um, you know, your work ethic is obviously very high. Like, is there something comparable that we could maybe talk to the audience about where it's like, or relatable even where it's like, you hear these people, entrepreneurs, for example, talking about, oh, I, you know, I worked a, you know, a whatever, nine to five. Then I went home and I worked another nine hours on my, my side project, you know, okay. like with your music and then your gym, like what kind of hours are you putting in daily towards these projects in a realistic sort of productive hourly basis? I could answer that question with my day yesterday. Okay. okay. So my Monday, wake up about 5.05 in the morning, get to the gym at, at 6.00. Um, train a 6 a.m. client, train a group at 7, and then I train from 6 a.m. people, 6 a.m. till 12, or sorry, till 1. And then I went and I coach high school football, strength and conditioning high school football at Costa Mesa High School. So I went over there to train the kids for an hour and a half, come back. Oh, wait, I forget the best part. In the morning, I get a text because someone tried to steal our trailer that's in the back of our 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 gym and it fell off their, their bumper. So it got stuck in the middle of the street and a cop reported it. So that's the first thing that happened yesterday. Mm -hmm. So coming into work that already happened, had to file a police claim, whatever. And that's the little parts of the business. People are like, Oh, you own a business must be the greatest thing ever. That's a little part of the business that derails your focus from like a normal day. So that's how it started. I trained from six to one, still answering emails here and there dealing with business stuff go train the, the boys at Costa Mesa high school, come back. I break my key off in, in the, in the door. So I have to go to home Depot and get a whole new door handle and keys made. And that's another thing of like, yo, you want to be a small business owner? Cool. Well, you got to take care of things like that. Mm -hmm. Like that's a fork in the road that is daily every day. So I get done with that. I get back to clients around four 30. I'm training clients from four 30 to six 30 and actually four 30 to seven 30. I leave at seven 30 I go straight to. I went straight to the recording studio, uh, listened in on a couple tracks for about an hour and a half, uh, made a couple notes on some things that were working on at the studio. After that, went home, grabbed my computer, sent out a, a couple online programs to some of my online clients, and make dinner while I'm doing that. And at that point, it's about nine forty-five, ten o'clock. My girlfriend and I finally get to eat dinner. We watch like half a movie and we crash out. That's my day. And that's how many days a week. That's like five days a week. So you'll take two days for yourself and just do what well, you want. Well, Saturday I still work. It's just condensed. I work from eight to one. Okay. Okay. And that you've been, I mean, that's, you've been your routine for how many years? That's, like that's, ever? That's seven years. Okay. That's, with the gym, with the music, it was a little bit different. When you're on the road, there's a little bit, there's a lot more downtime, but when you're on, you're on. Yeah. So you've had but the gym seven years, huh? Yeah. Around seven years. Wow, crazy. man. Good for you. That's crazy. Uh, do you ever wake up and not want to do what you have to do every day? <laughs> yeah, about once a week. Once a week only. <laughs> yeah. That's good. I've twice a week yet. But I'll go through times when I'm like, dude, I need like a week off, you know? And then my girlfriend and I will kind of, you know, sometimes if we really got to get away, we'll we'll take like three or four days and go to Mammoth and get in the mountains and ride a little bit. But but even when we're up there, we're still, after we ride, we get on our computers and we work. So work never stops. It follows you. Okay. What kind of like other stuff do you do to decompress? Like what other hobbies do you have? Are you like a secret baker or something like that? <laughs> you know what? Food prep's actually kind of cool. Like I take that hour and a half, two hours to make food and I, I love it. Yeah. It's a good like stress release. Are you, I mean, since you're a gym owner, you're obviously very conscious of what you put in your body. Yeah. Try to be. 
And so do you have like a cookbook out or do you have anything actually, like that? That's funny. I'm actually, I'm actually comprising a cookbook right now. Um, it's about 70% done and it's going to be digital copy release only, um, digital ebook. And basically it's going to be a cookbook for the normal person. <laughs> and I, I don't know a name yet of the cookbook, but it's kind of like, Hey, like you want to achieve this. Here's the easiest way you can go about it. Here's, you know, you don't need to spend all this money. You don't need, it's not in the, the oils that you use or this and that. There's not a secret ingredient that's going to get you where you want to get. It's just really bare bones, basic, and then expanding on that. So what do you say for the normal person, like the normal person who wants to get fit and lose weight or like, like if someone's like, dude, I have no idea how to cook, but I need to eat better. Okay. I'll be like, cool. Well, here's this guide. Here's your shopping list. Here's your budget. You know, if you, if someone hits me up, like I got a hundred dollars to spend on groceries a week, I have about another hour and a half free time to food prep and I don't know how to cook mm-hmm. cool. Buy my, buy my cookbook, man. It's going to help you. That's cool. I mean, so yeah, let's, let's, let's plug it, dude. So you got that yeah. going on. You got your gym, which is called, um, rise above, above fitness. I have a clothing company. I started as a hobby to kind of just make clothes for my, my members and they bought it. And then people started seeing it online and a couple of people started asking online, like, Hey, where do I get these shirts? And so I said, okay, cool. I'll do like a test run. And I did a test run of some shirt and they sold in about a week. And now I have a full fledged apparel company that does better than my gym. That's great. So, and that's all kind of like fitness related though. Yeah. Rise above fitness is like more like fitness lifestyle music. Cause like the whole like kind of, aesthetic of the gym is very like music and fitness and kind of like the raw kind of feel of it, kind of punk rock, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's what the, the clothing company's like. And, um, through multiple failures at that, just spending excess money on things you don't need to spend on trying to figure out how to do a clothing company. Um, that was a try, fail, try thing. And, you know, we started a company called the Renegade Collective, which is a full production apparel production company. And right now we have about seven companies that we produce their stuff. So that's another side business as well. But that but that is vastly taking over because income wise it's starting to do really well and the companies that we have are doing really well, which is awesome. That is cool. And then I see you uh, on your Instagram, you're always on the on the road with other bands doing fitness with them, is that correct? Yeah. So we have this thing going on with Warp Tour where they hire us every year. We're going to be doing our second third year. Um it's called the Backstage Battleground and we go on uh, myself or another trainer that represents our gym and we have equipment and we set up, um, workouts three times a day and it's open to all the bands, working members, crew members, um, warp tour employees. They could all come and do the workout and we schedule one in the morning, midday and at night. That's amazing. That sounds yeah. so awesome. That's free of charge. Of course it is free. It's a hundred percent free. And, uh, what's really cool is that sometimes bands do like like competitions, like, Hey, come work out with me. So some of the fans get to come back as well and kind of see it. And also they have like rise above fitness approved, uh, menu items for, for catering. <laughs> Look at you, dude. I love it, dude. Go on. Yeah. What, what else you got going on, dude? Tell me. Fuck, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's that, um, there's the studio thing. So we're working on, I'm always working on new iron sun stuff. Um, kind of executive producing a lot of the, the, the music that gets produced in the gym or really? in Iron, Iron Sun is the solo uh, project you're doing now. For yeah, it's the band I'm kind of doing like after bleeding through to kind of keep my my music kind of career moving. Um, but it's it's been awesome. I love it. And like I said, I'm not ruling out a return for like bleeding through stuff. But I'm just I love writing music. So the the studio definitely helps helps me get my mind away. 
you know, I go in there, I work with, I work with my producer that I've been working with for the last like six or seven years. And, you know, we drink a Stella and nice. take a fucking, take a hit and <laughs> we fucking, we write some fucking rad shit. So I'm, I'm looking to get fit actually. And I need like sports specific fitness. Like, do you write programs for people like me who want to get fit for surfing, for example? Absolutely. Absolutely. I write programs for literally everything. When I first got into this industry, the person I, um, interned under was kind of world renowned for cut, um, programming for athletes. So I worked a lot with like football, hockey, but then he had what's, what's, what's crazy is that like, you know, one of our clients was, was Rory Parker. Oh, no way. Wow. Way. And I remember like training him for about a year because he really wanted to get into the fitness industry as well. But I trained him for surfing. And what we really trained was flexibility and mobility on his board mm -hmm. because he said like over the years, he just came super stiff. And so I was watching like um, more recent the most recent kind of stuff for him surfing. And I'm like, dude, you're just so stiff, mm -hmm. like you're so stiff on your board. So we worked on that. And so, I mean, that was, that was an example of someone that surfed and, you know, it, it was totally gutted when I found out he passed away cause he was doing so well. And, but interesting. Yeah. Okay. That's crazy. good to know. And then, um, is there anything else that you'd like to mention that the audience could maybe come find you at or, you know, listen to you sing or do whatever you're doing. Yeah. Where's the best place to find out what Brandon Chappetti is doing right now? I mean, you could, you could always with my, with my Instagram is the best way. It's just at Brandon Chappetti, my full name. Um, I, I try to plug as much stuff as I'm going on, but I have the stuff that I mentioned. And then as far as like finding out when my bands are playing or sort of special events that the clothing company is going to go do or expos, you could check that. Um, I'm fairly active on Twitter, but my Twitter is more like, one word like funny stuff okay <laughs> so it's really not that most informative thing in the world i'm not as active on facebook even though i do post events and stuff like that on my facebook which is just brandon chapetti um as well um but cool. yeah i kind of you know it's just a grind mentality and i think when people start saying like oh i'm grinding today it's like well what are you really doing today like especially in the fitness industry get that use that term gets used very loosely and i it's just, it's annoying, but I have to just not be a punk ass and be like, listen, I have what I do. They have what they do. Grinding for me not be, not, might not be grinding for them. Not everybody has my work ethic. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But like, You know what though? I, I really, I, I always attribute it to where we're from, man. I really do. That's interesting. Yeah, I was thinking about that when you were talking about that and none of our friends ever talked about going to get a nine to five. They've always no. were talking about the business they were going to start or like they were going to do this. And like all of them have, they've all done something on their own. It's like with Lally, Lally, Lally has this fucking underwater shark photography thing. That's his own thing. It's like, you know, Chris Perry has always been trying to do his own thing with like photography and multimedia and stuff like that. And being involved with that, you know, toss has fucking bear flag. Yeah, you know? It's like, which that's fucking insane, dude. Like last time I saw him, I'm like, dude, you're insane. Yeah. He's like, who knew a fucking fish taco and I'd be opening all these fucking restaurants. Yeah. It's truly inspirational, man. I, and I feed off it. You know, I'm continually trying to design my life and shape it in the way that I want. And, you know, I definitely have to come back and eat a little bit of humble soup. You know, if something failed when I was on the road and I have to come back and just get back in the, the nine to five so I can make a little money to get back out there. But hey, I leave on Thursday to go back to Nicaragua and I'm going totally. to swing the you bat, know, swing the bat again. Nine to fives are fine. But you always have to have a, a hobby that's a passion. I feel like if you give up on your passions and your hobbies, then you lose. 
Nine to fives are great if they afford you your, the lifestyle that you want to live. Yeah. And there's nothing, and I'll never knock a nine to five. It's I'm never going to knock hard work. Hard work is hard work. You could sweep ditches for the rest of your life, and if you're supporting yourself or your family, and you're and it makes enough money for you to allow to to still have fun doing what you like really love, then that's admirable. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, I've done it. When, when Bleeding Through was first starting, I worked at coffee shops. I did odd jobs. I tried to make money so I could support myself while I was home until Bleeding Through could, could support me. And there's no, there's nothing bad in it. But it's like I said, it's like I always revert back to just being like, you know what? I feel like our mentality growing up was just different from other people's mentality. We kind of grew up in a, in, a, in a way where we think that everything is possible. And, I, you know, I go and talk at high schools once in a while. And I've actually spoke at Harbor before just about that mentality of whatever you want to do, you can do it. The limitation is yourself. The limitation is that's, that's all it is. No matter what kind of family you're from, what kind of financial burdens you come from. I mean, dude, I train kids at Costa Mesa high school that can't come to practice every day because they have to get jobs to support their families and they might be living with their mom in a, in a, in a living room. And that's, that's legit. I mean, that is, and those people still are full of life. And I'm telling them, you could do whatever you want to do. Like, do what you need to do now and then what you want to do later. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And the only thing that's keeping you back is you. Mm-hmm. You could always do it. Everything is possible. I wasn't fed with a, su- a silver spoon. I basically said, I'm going to fucking do this. And I have belief in myself to do it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was never the most popular one at school. And I started all those conversations out with, you could look to your right. You could look to your left. You could say, these are my best friends in the world and I'll never – and this friendship's going to last forever. But let me guess. Let me, let me just tell you. They won't. They, they dissipate for a little bit. Everybody kind of has the I need to fend for myself a little bit to get my life going. But if, you're, if you have a good bond with your friendship, those friendships will always be there no matter if they're an everyday friendship or if they're a, a once-a-year friendship, you know, once-a-year hangout type of friendship. Right. But don't let those – don't let what other people may, other people want affect what you want. Mm-hmm. I mean, don't let their plan affect your plan. Go with your plan. And that's what I did. And unfortunately, it sucks because, you know, I'll be hanging out with like some, some of our older friends and I'll be like, dude, I missed out on so much. I missed out on so much, dude, because I was like full go on the road, make it, trying to make it happen, you know? And it makes me sad a little bit, but at the same time, it's like, I had to do it because I really did have to like invest in myself after high school and, and figure it out. Wow. It's interesting to hear you say, I would have never guessed that you look back at, at and feel like you did miss out. Cause I mean, I think a lot of people looked at you like you were doing it, you know, like Brandon's doing it. He's on the road, like following his dreams. And that was, you know, what we admired. Yeah. But I mean, I had to miss out on a lot of things <laughs> like for real. Yeah. I come home and it's like, people having kids or getting married. I missed out on like weddings and stuff like that and important things that I wish I should have, I could have been there for, but I just couldn't. Yeah. But the thing is like the overriding theme is it's about sacrifice. It's about what are you willing to sacrifice to get what you want to get? I mean, I'm not a stab people in the back and walk over people to get where I want to get. I'm, I like to think that I have like a good heart and I try to bring people along and, and do things the right way. But what else are you willing to sacrifice to get there? Mm hmm. Hundred percent. Yeah, you have to compromise at some point. Definitely. Well, thank you for coming on and sharing these uh, really insightful moments throughout your life. And 
Thanks, you know, man. Brief history you've been on this uh, earth. I know that there's a lot more to come, and I'm excited to watch you uh, continue to grow and achieve, dude. Thanks, Chapin. Yeah, Brandon. Much love to you, and thanks again. Uh, all right. Later, buddy. Late. Thank you for listening to Misfits and Rejects. I hope this inspires you to think about your life situation, where you're at, and possibly make a big decision to choose something different for yourself if you're unhappy with where you're at in life. I hope these people that I interview inspire you to go out, spread your wings, and try something new, to live a different lifestyle that maybe your whole life people were telling you was the wrong one, but when in fact it's the perfect one for you. And I'll see you next time.